Thank you very much, Karen. In light of the message that song, and this isn't applicable only to Christmas, but allow that to represent our church, people in our church. The next slide is representing those who may be involved in positions of leadership or teaching. Let this next slide represent all of us. As we think about Christ in us, we think about our places of work, we think about our homes and neighborhoods in which we live, the schools in which we attend. God's desire, as was read earlier, is for us to be Saudi. Not losing our Saudiness, but to be Saudi. It's not limited to me, it's not limited to some other church leader. All of us are to be sought, light, representatives of of Christ in the world in which we live. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the life we have experienced in Christ. Grateful that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We know in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have the resources we need to live well each day. As we reflect on a portion of your word this morning, we want to be attentive hearing, understanding, and applying in our life for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A couple of questions as we begin. I'm not looking for you to answer them, but to think about them. But how would you respond to the questions if you were asked? Why are you content? Why are you content? Why do you continue to work hard for our boss who can be very unkind and demanding to us? A coworker asking you that question. A teenager being asked by another teen. Why do you choose to be with your family rather than going out with our friends? Someone else asked, when I sold you the car, you refused to lie about the price to save on the sales tax, even though I offered. Why? I have observed you respect each teacher, even though our biology teacher is negative toward you due to your views on creation. Why did you offer, I'm sorry, why did you refuse a promotion which could have resulted in a 30% pay raise? How can I have, how can I have a relationship with you? What did I do here, Jerry? Anyway, how can I have a relationship with you? Think about life. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. And keep in mind that Peter is writing to people who are experiencing persecution. They're going through difficulties. 
in their obedience to Christ. And the difficulty of the persecution is not coming from the government, but from neighbors, from family members, co-workers. And as Peter writes, he places a strong emphasis on the identity of his hearers, who they are in Christ. And in the flow of the passage, apparently there's some persecution taking place and he encouraged them not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing because God is observing and aware of what is taking place. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for going ev- doing evil. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed the passage some, and last week we touched on the latter part of the passage. And as we think about it, he states in verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And then he says in response, but even if someone or you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Persecution, difficulty from what they're going through. But he says, you're blessed even if you suffer. And as we considered a few weeks ago, he says, don't fear what they fear, don't be frightened, but set apart Christ as Lord. And then he says, in verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer everyone who asks you the reason of the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer. They're going through difficulty. Apparently someone might ask them about why they continue to be faithful. Be prepared to do what? Give an answer to anyone who asks you concerning the reason for the hope that you have. The hope in the passage is referring to the expectation that they had concerning the future. We know that in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, 
There, Peter talks about the fact that there was an inheritance that wouldn't perish, spoil or fade away. We know also that as you expand that hope, in chapter 1, we tie in with redemption, verses 17 through 21. Salvation, 18 through chapter 2 and verse 3. He talks about there being a spiritual house. He's writing to people who are going through difficulty, and he says, someone asks you the reason of the hope, the expectation, an inheritance, a redemption, a salvation. You're being a spiritual house. They may face physical death. They may face loss of health. They may go into jail because of their stand for Christ. They may lose physical things. And someone says, why do you continue to love God? What's going on? Peter says, be ready to give an answer. He doesn't say defend what you believe. He doesn't say try to convince them that you're right. He says give a reason for the hope that you have. Something that was obvious, there was a receptive audience because the people are asking. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. I think about that in the context of not only in that day, but also in the day and age in which we live. Do we rejoice in our physical trials or do we demand a fix? Do we welcome death and talk about it or do we try to avoid it? Are we depressed when the stock market drops? Are we fearful of losing our jobs as we compromise to keep our job? Some application to today. And someone says, what's going on in your life? You rejoice in your trials. You're not afraid of death. The stock market took a real turn, but yet you just keep going on. That's the context in which Peter is speaking. Whether it be Peter's hearers or believers today, hope as it relates to future salvation is to make a difference in how we live and respond in the present. Not dwelling on that which is coming to the point that we don't live well in the present, but living well in the present. One writer says, it is this hope that separates and alienates people from the pagans and invites the kind of conflict that Peter has in view. The hope in you should be understood not so much as a hope within an individual, but as the hope that is among believers, namely their shared belief in the gospel of Christ, that defines and unites them as Christians. So people in the community saying about the people to whom Peter is writing, my, you have hope. You have an expectation. You're living different. Why? Why will you go through persecution? What's going on? People in our community say, Roaring Brook has a hope. They as a body have hope. They remain faithful to God no matter what. Why? Peter's vision for how Christian, how the Christian is to relate to even a hostile social situation is thought-provoking. 
He does not advocate a withdrawal from society for safety's sake or a hostile counterattack on society. Rather, a faith that does not close doors to relationships with other people out of either fear or hate. It turns rather in openness to others just as it turns to God. The Christian community may be a colony in a strange land, but cultural isolation is not to be the route taken by the Christian community. It is to live its life openly in the midst of a non-believing world and just as openly be prepared to explain the reasons for it. This verse raises the question of how many Christians today could make an articulate statement of the reasons for their faith in Christ in terms that would be understood by modern society. Most testimonies, when given at all, are given in a Christian gathering using the words of the church, which makes perfect sense to the converted, but in terms that have little meaning for those who are not already believers. While that may be important, can we articulate our faith and the reasons for our faith to unbelievers that ask us why? Peter says, be ready to give an answer to those that ask you a reason for your hope. But do this with gentleness. Apparently, if you're being persecuted and someone says, why do you have this faith? There might be a desire to lash out, Peter says, gentleness. It's the attitude which accepts all dealings from others as being useful and profitable. Someone at work is giving you a hard time because of your faith in Christ. And they say in a very sarcastic way, why do you continue to take my abuse? You might want to lash out. Peter says, accept their response to you, their persecution as being useful and profitable. Thus, there's not a demand for rights but doing that which will benefit the individual who is asking or hearing. So in light of Hebrews, some of the believers in Hebrews had their property confiscated. And a neighbor a couple weeks later says to the one who had the property confiscated, why do you continue to love God? They took your property just because you're a believer in Christ. And the believer thinks, my response needs to benefit this person. Doing it with gentleness, and Peter says, with respect. The idea of respect is an astonishment, an amazement, and a trembling The object of respect is God and Christ. There's an amazement that God allows members of Christ's body to experience Christ's sufferings. With gentleness and respect, God has given me the privilege of having my property confiscated because of my faith in Christ. I want to respond with that type of 
amazement. I want to respond to that teacher at school who has given me a hard time just because I made a couple of statements about my position on how the world came into being. Lord, I want to be gentle. I want to have respect in how I respond. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. The ideas involved in gentleness and respect seem somewhat foreign to our Christian culture today. We fight to keep laws. We attack. We have campaigns to protect. We demand to keep our rights. I'll pull aside for a second and address something that I see is very huge in our Christian culture today. Massive. We fear losing our Judeo-Christian values not controlling our country. We fear loss of freedom, such as worship, a tax-exempt status, the freedom to share Christ. That is evident. We're exhorted over and over again to act, to do something, to keep us where we were. We're told to vote because the 2020 election is going to be the election of all elections. I heard that in 76. I heard that in 2016. Magazines will devote a lot of space to keeping what we have. Young people are fearful because of what's going to happen to our country. And we devote much time on radio to promote action to try to keep that. I'm not saying all of that is wrong. But in the process, are we being taught how to walk with Christ in the midst of persecution? If that came to our country. Are we living with confidence rather than fear? I hear over and over again, we need to be fearful. What's happening in our country? Is God not sovereign? Did not the people to whom Peter is writing go through all kinds of persecution and God was sovereign? We create a resistant audience rather than a receptive audience. Those Christians, they're always out attacking rather than those Christians. They're gentle. They're respectful. Sometimes we just miss Christ. And we miss prayer. My question is, are we living in such a way that unbelievers are saying our country may be going to pot, but those Christians continue to love God. They respond with respect and honor. Application as it relates to today. Peter goes on. Do this with gentleness and respect in your answer, keeping a clear conscience. 
Clear conscience ties in with having a pattern of life that is obedient. Being able to say, I've not responded ungodly with evil or insult when evil and insult are directed at me. I bless those who direct evil and insult towards me. I've been gentle and respectful in my answers. A clear conscience. I don't have all kinds of things to confess and say, God, you know, I was, someone expressed evil to me and I responded in evil. Someone insulted me and I insulted them back. Just a clear conscience. Been walking with you in humble obedience. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, those who are set out to destroy you, to put you down, to intentionally hurt you. Words are directed against your good behavior so that those who speak that way may be ashamed of their slander. In the last couple of years, I've read a couple of books on persecution that is taking place in modern day or the modern day world. And there was a believer in China was asked by an American who was doing some interviews of the China, of the individual in China that was being persecuted. And the person said, uh, the American said, why don't you write a book about the persecution you're going through? And the individual in China said, why would I? Isn't everyone going through this? I'm only obeying God. I'm doing what God wants. Why write a book? That's where I think Peter is coming from. Just a life that is lived in obedience to God. And people will speak maliciously against you. Believers will be attacked as they were in Peter's day, as believers are today. And Peter says, those who do that will be ashamed. They'll put to blush. They're the ones who experience dishonor and disappointment because the wind is taken out of their sails due to your gentle, respectful response. So a wife in Peter's day is berated because she is humbly submitting to her unsaved husband and just lives out her faith. And neighbors say, what are you doing that for? That's not the way you do it. She says, I'm only obeying my God. I have faith, I'm obeying him. She doesn't lash out. She doesn't defend. Just continues to obey. Unbelievers do not know how to handle a gentle, respectful answers. They're like taking snow to one who has lived his entire life in Ghana, Africa. What is snow? They don't grasp it. See, unbelievers don't know what to do when someone's property is confiscated and they continue to love God. When someone is berated and maligned and spoken down to and the person responds with a gentle, respectful response, I don't know what to do with that. 
That's where Peter is coming from. And as we touched on last week, he goes on in verses 18 through 20 or 22 to talk about Christ's suffering. Christ suffered. Believers suffer. But Christ is in heaven at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers and submission to him. And that ties in with the world of the evil spirits who are behind persecution. So how are we living? How would you respond? Why are you content? Why are you content? Some unbeliever says, why are you content? You lost your health. You lost family members. You're still content in Christ. Why? Can you tell me? You accept the death. I'm sorry. Why do you continue to work hard for our boss who can be unkind and demeaning to us? Why? Can you tell me why you do that? I criticize him. I talk against him. I go home and I berate him to my family. I talk to other employees and I berate our boss, but I never hear a word come out of your mouth. Why? Why do you choose to be with your family rather than going with your friends? One teen saying to another teen, I notice that on numerous times we've invited you to go out. You say, no, I just want to be with my family. What is it about your family that you want to be with them? Why? When I sold you the car, you refused to lie about the price to save on sales tax, even though I offered it. Remember years ago, I bought a car, and <clears throat> before we went into the uh, notary, the guy said to me, now, how much do you want to say this car was bought or sold for? Well, I said, what's the price that we agreed upon? And he told me, and I said, well, that's the price we're going to give. I just found it interesting. But people observe our lives how we live and how we respond. I've observed that you respect each teacher, even though our biology teacher is negative due to your views on creation. Why do you still respect the biology teacher? Why? If I were in your boat, I would get angry and I would get critical and I would create some problems. You refused a promotion, which would have resulted in the 30% increase in pay. I know you're a Christian, and I know it must have something to do with your Christian faith that you refused the promotion. Why? What's going on in your life? Why would you turn down that? Can you tell me why? I've observed you. It's obvious that you have a relationship with God. 
that you love God and your walk with God, your relationship with God makes a difference in the way you live. I can see it in how you respond to your family. I see it how you respond to co-workers. I see it in your concern, just you want to be with other believers. Can you tell me how to have a relationship with your God? Who is he? How can I have a relationship with him? Peter is saying, be ready to give an answer. And the culture in Peter's day may be somewhat different than our culture today because we may not be facing the persecution, as much persecution as Peter's hearers were. But we still live in a culture in which living well makes a difference. Or our lives, is our church creating thirst? A desire to ask questions among unsaved families, members, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students. Are we ready to give an answer? Can we verbalize our faith in terms that unbelievers can understand? Is our walk with God something those who know us would see as owning us, controlling us, our walk with God, owning and controlling us? Be ready to give an answer. Peter seems to be communicating Live in such a way in the midst of persecution. Live in such a way in your day-by-day living that people ask questions about why you live the way you live. We live in a world that is broken in many ways. But in that broken world, Peter says, Christ is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. Our country may be having problems. Live well with confidence. We may lose items. Persecution may come. Someone may criticize us. Live well. Give a blessing for an insult. Give a blessing when someone speaks evil. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. And I emphasize as I close, be ready to answer. Many of us here this morning are striving to live well. Are we ready to give an answer? Are we ready to give an answer? Be prepared. That's where Peter's coming from. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for all that we have in Christ. Grateful for what you've given in Christ to Peter's hearers. And we know that the context in which we live 
today is somewhat different than in Peter's day. But we know that you remain a constant. Christ remains a constant. Your spirit remains a constant. So may we live in light of the hope that we have, living well in the present. And as there are opportunities to speak to others, may we be ready to give an answer, to explain why we live the way we do, to point people to Christ, responding with gentleness and respect for your glory, Father. We know that you are at work in us. You've given us your spirit to live within us. And he is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. And until we experience that, we want to be faithful. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.